Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Controversy, comedy, and that thug life. It's the Pantelis Podcast. Hey everybody, cool podcast coming up here, really informative. I got Peter Radomski, just for laughs. You've seen him on uh, The Daily Show, uh, really funny guy, uh, really big part of the Montreal comedy scene, so I got him to do this podcast. Uh, I'm on my way to LA right now as you listen to this, and I'm going to try to get some stuff out while I'm out there, but uh, no promises because I'm probably going to be pretty busy. Uh, but in the meantime, listen to this. Uh, Peter's got a show if you're in Montreal. He's headlining the Comedy Works uh, next weekend. So uh, the dates are repeated throughout the podcast, so just enjoy it. And uh, yeah, have fun. You're listening to the Pantelis Podcast. This is overdue. I know. I agree. I agree. It's been. We've been talking months, ages. We were talking about doing this, about being on this podcast, even before you had the podcast. Yeah, before this one existed, the Four H podcast. Yeah, and it never, it never happened. Before even the word podcast existed, we were thinking we were of doing talking this. About it. You were saying like, I should get you on something that people can download and then delete after a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're sure. one of the first people I met in comedy. I remember that. I remember. Yeah. Uh, I think the first time you performed was at the Nest. Was yeah, it? yeah. It was the first time you were one of the people who. Uh, uh, who kind of showed faith you and Iman really who pushed and I want to apologize for that to all the listeners yeah you want an apology to everybody out there I do seen me I do comedy. I do for anyone who has had to sit through this guy and for, for those of you who haven't established if you've met him and you haven't made the connection yes he looks exactly like Dante Hicks from Clerks <laughs> I need to put that out there for everyone. I've been hearing that joke every time I go to a spot the nest. That was the first thing I said to you. I think yeah. it was also like, you look like Dante from Clerks. And, and You're not even supposed to be here today. That's right. It's uh, This is the part that's going to get edited out of the podcast. <laughs> I want them to know. They'll, they'll see the, the resemblance. But right now, next week, I mean, you're, you're a comedy nest. Uh, I mean, you're a comedy nest. I was going to say regular, but it's even more than that. You're you're part of the team. You work at the comedy to nest. To an extent, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in between. I'm not an employee officially, but I've been the guy that's been booking their open mics for the majority of the last, uh, I'd say since 2006, maybe 2005. So either about 10 years. Wow. wow. Yeah, I just realized that as I was saying it. It's been 10 years. And over the last year and a half, it's been myself and Jason Hattrick, who you know, we take turns booking it uh, from week to week and, and what have you, depending on who's available. But, uh, but for the m- most part, it's been myself who's been doing it. And like I said, now there's been sort of a, a sea change, which, which is fine. But yeah, neither of us are really employees, but we do work out there a lot and we both do enjoy the place. It's a it's an amazing club. Um, many people consider it to be one of the top three clubs in the country. Yeah. Uh, but that's not where you'll see me next weekend. No, next weekend you're performing at the other club. You're headlining the uh, Comedy Works on right. Bishop Street. That's right. Uh, right below St. Catherine, I'll be uh, co-headlining, to be more precise, with uh, my friend Jimmy LaChase, who's a very, very talented comedian out of New York. Walter Ling, who runs the Works. The oh, he's Walter's Works. on. Okay. 
Well, no, no. I was saying he he approached me about a couple months ago about hey, let's have you headline at the club, and I was super excited. And I wanted to do it, and then I thought, well, what could be a nice extra incentive if if someone has seen me before? Uh, why would they come out and see me? And so I wanted to dangle a couple of carrots for people. And so what we've got is two really solid New York comedians joining us, uh, both originally from Rochester, but they both now call New York City their home. One is Jimmy LaChase. He's going to co-headline with me. I'm a big fan of his. And another is a guy that he recommended to me, uh, one of his buddies, a guy named Zach Swan, sent me a couple of tapes of his. And... I watched them and I was laughing within about 30 seconds and I, I you know, my reaction was like, yes, absolutely. Can we, yeah, let's please put him on the show. So Zach is joining us on, on all five shows. And then as a further incentive, if someone's coming, what we've done is we've mixed up the lineup. So there's going to be a different host and there's going to be a different uh, opener for each show. And as bland and as monotone as my voice is now... I was about to ask you, what's, what's going on? Are you sleepy? What the hell's happening? No, no, no. But I, I did want to comment and be meta, and you stepped on it. <laughs> but by, by saying that, yes, as bland and as monotone as I sound now, you know, the show will be funny, but I just wanted to get the key, important, serious information out of the way. That's all. And the shows are 8.30 with late shows on Friday and Saturday at 10.30. And it's comedyworksmtl.ca. Uh, Folks. And you can still buy tickets, I'm sure, for a couple of shows yeah. at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can still get tickets. You can still reserve. Uh, we've, uh, like I said, we've got some nice surprises. A uh, couple people. Uh, I've got Mike Mayo on the Thursday show. Oh, I haven't seen him perform in, uh, he hasn't in performed, years. In, he, yeah, he's still, he's performing now more than before. And Mike is like family to me. So yeah. I'm happy to have him on. I'm going to have Erica Tadeo on one of the shows as well. She's an up-and-comer that I have a lot of faith in. I think it shows a lot of promise, and I wanted to encourage her. Walter is going to host the show. We've got a couple people hosting, and um, and uh, we're going to be funny on this show, funnier than we are now at the podcast. This, All right, good. Be, 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 before everybody falls asleep. Yes. So how, how did you? Let me ask you. How did you get into comedy? How did you decide? Ah, this is for me. I'm gonna tell some jokes. I was bitten by a radioactive joke book. Oh, that's a horrible. Right, that's a that's terrible a horrible joke. joke. Yes, it is. That will not be on the show. That should be edited out. <laughs> um, actually, my first heroes were were comedians. When I was eight years old, I saw a Marx Brothers movie and I laughed my ass off. And I wanted to be a, a comedy team. I wanted my mother to have more kids so that my brothers could be a comedy team. And uh, that didn't quite happen, but. Um, yeah, and I, like when kids were getting into rock and roll, I was buying records. I was buying comedy records of Lenny Bruce and, and George Carlin. And, well, also because I was a kid, Weird Al Yankovic before that. But, you know, that's what made me tick. That's what made me, you know. And from then on, I, I didn't think, you know, oh, you can have a career in this at the time and more and more. But there is a teacher, actually, a guy named Gary Lindner, was an elementary school teacher who he put me on stage for the first time. We had like a Christmas concert in school every year. And he pulled me aside and said, hey, instead of singing with the class, why don't you go up and do jokes? So the first time I actually did stand-up, I was 11. I was in grade 5, elementary school. And I performed and I, I did some jokes. Were they good jokes? A lot of shitty puns. And uh, I, didn't even, I don't even think I knew what the word pun was, but I was making puns. And, uh, and like you know, prop jokes and really dumb stuff, you know, that an 11 year old would probably find funny and maybe some very polite parents. I had one bit that I thought of resurrecting from then because it's important to write new ideas, folks. Always go back to something that you wrote 300 years ago. Uh, 
But um, I've had one observation about when my mother buys socks. They're always on these little, like they look like little coat hangers. And, but I don't have a little closet to hang the socks up in. And uh, that was the gist of the joke. Like I said, you know, when you're 11, you're not going to... Yeah, gonna, what are you going to write about, really? What? Exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah, just, man, what is it with, with, you know, what is it with your goldfish where they're shitting all over the tank? Like, what are you going to do? You know, well, like... What would have been funny is if you were 11 talking about ex-girlfriends and drug abuse. That yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that don't you... Don't, what's the deal with Ritalin? Don't you hate it when... <laughs> When you can't, when the doctor won't let you freebase your Ritalin, what's up with that? What's up with these prices? Why can't I get friend prices on Ritalin? Yeah, let's, let's do weed jokes, but about Ritalin. That would be fun for a kid. That's, Did you grow up in Montreal? I grew up in, uh, in Laval, unfortunately. How's that? Um, it was a shithole. I, really? I hate it. It's, the, uh, it's an island that I hope sinks into the sea. Um, I actually get physical... Uh, like my parents still live there and when I visit when I get out of the metro there I actually can feel my skin crawl were you sexually abused what the hell no it's just it's just a shitty part of the planet like like it's it's a palindrome because everyone there doesn't know if they're coming or going it's Mm. just you know as I've joked on stage I've I've, whatever like this is something that you, you know as well from weekends when you're doing crowd work when you're hosting a lot of times when you're you're interviewing the audience you'll ask anybody here from out of town and there's always some asshole who yells, Lavelle! <laughs> Which is out of town. Get it? Yeah, because it's next to it, and they think they're being clever. <laughs> and so I've jumped in with that, and I tell them, like, nobody lives in Laval. They're like, no, I live there. And I say, no, people don't live in Laval. They just die there. Oof, that's, and that's, that's kind of how I feel. I, I just, yeah, I'm not a fan of suburbs, and Laval in particular is a, is a shitty suburb. The buses on Sundays, when I was growing up, at least were once every two hours. Oh. wasn't that uh, wasn't a great place. So um. it's funny that uh, people don't like saying that they're from Laval because I was doing um, uh, I had a show two weeks ago with Angel Tarukis and it was in Laval, but it kept being advertised as uh, Angel Tarukis in Montreal, right? Yeah. And I joked about it how the reason that it was they said that is because nobody would want to go to Laval. So yeah. I told you last minute for you to not realize that you're not really going to Montreal. It's just such a hated place. It's boring. Everything's so spread out. Especially if you're from Montreal, yeah. you don't like how everything is spread out so far because you gotta you can't walk. No, you no, need you a car to go everywhere, yeah. and everything's like ten minutes away by car. Well, there's something wrong about living in a place where you need a li- you know a liter of gas to pick up a liter of milk. You know. To me, you know, you can't do anything. Uh, You practically can't even go to the bathroom without starting your car first to to go somewhere. Uh, And like I said, growing up, the buses were terrible. It's just, it's just a, I mean, it's like all suburbs. They're all kind of boring and like you said, stretched out. And it's just not, yeah, it's not a place I'm a fan of. So you, uh, so I've lived, I've, I've lived my adult life in Montreal. I was going to ask you, I'm going to, we're going to get to uh, your little stint in New York, but before that, uh, your experience in Montreal growing into comedy here, you got to experience, uh, like, like for me, comedy is home and I love it. This, but you got to experience the, the comedy even beforehand, not the current one, right, that we have with, with uh, David Acker. Mm. You, you already, I don't know if you performed or at least if you had visited the old one. There was one I know on Crescent and then there was even one here that was run a bit differently mm. uh, at the forum. So you, yeah. you well, got to see the change. Well, I mean, actually, one of the, the first time I actually went to a comedy club when I was younger, um, was actually at the the Comedy Nest when it was on Crescent Street above uh, Sir Winnie's. Yeah, or Karina's is now. Uh, I guess so, yeah, yeah. And originally the Comedy Nest was where the Comedy Works is. That's interesting. And then they, uh, Ernie and uh, the other guy had a falling out and so Ernie moved it to Crescent Street. 
and it moved a couple of times, but uh, I've been involved with the open mics since the Ernie days when, uh, you know, I was with, I, I dealt with Ernie for the last year and a half or so of his life and uh, got to know him a little bit. And then I was dealing with his family up until four years ago when there was a changing of the guard and Dave and Phil uh, bought the club and took it over. And uh, uh, yeah, so I've seen it through three different, three different uh I guess you could call it uh, incarnations. You have a favorite? Well, I mean, you know, I think it. what helps a lot now, I wouldn't say favorite, but I'd say it's certainly running at its strongest now. I mean, Ernie was ill for the time, you know, for, for a period of the time that I knew him, so um, he wasn't really running at all cylinders. I don't think even he knew he was sick at the time. Uh, his family, they were, you know, they had a lot of fires going at the same time, and they got into looking after a comedy club, not necessarily out of choice. It's very different when you take a job that you want versus you take one because you have to carry something on. So I don't know if their heart was always in it. They did the best they could and they, they kept it going. But now with, uh, with Dave and Phil, you got two comedians who combined have 45 years of experience in running a comedy club, and, uh, in being comedians rather. And they know how to treat comedians. They know what, what a comedian wants, what a comedian expects. And so you can, you can feel it. And it's definitely got the most comedy-friendly vibe now. Um, there's a higher caliber of headliners that are coming through. That's, you know, yeah. the, the majority of the comedians, well, they all, they've all been on TV. They've either been on Saturday Night Live or, or Conan or Ferguson. The guy that's in this weekend... You know, Craig Ferguson and Conan and Last Comic Standing. I mean, and you can tell when you watch these guys. Like, these guys are, you know, are machines. They're, you know, they're monstrously talented. So, Coming into it, yeah, there's a lot more and more of these uh, uh, international, I guess, North American headliners and uh, bigger names. But also, do, do you feel, because you, you also got to see different waves of open micers. Mm, what absolutely. do you feel the skill set is between the open micers you get five years ago and the stuff you get now? Uh, in terms of actual quality and people that could actually maybe pursue some kind of career in comedy? There's always people who are good from the beginning and that doesn't change. There's people who always just have a natural talent and can do it. There's always people who are in over their head and have no idea what they're in for and maybe stick it out a little longer than they, you know, than they, they know they can, they can handle it. And then there's other people who, you know, at any time it's just you know it's just not for them and that's not me saying it's not for them but it's it's a conclusion they reach they're like yeah you know what i'm not going anywhere with this and they're just not improving you know sometimes it takes people longer sometimes people don't have the patience i think a lot of people go into it not knowing how difficult it's going to be yeah a lot of people i'm guilty of it i think if we're all honest we'll all admit that when we started we thought it would be easier and if we knew how difficult it would be we might not still be here We, we might not have continued it we might have just walked away sooner and uh, but you get hooked into it and you're like no I need to do this oh it's a drug yeah oh it's most definitely a very very powerful drug getting on that stage and it's just it's the laughs just uh, you know what it is it's the um, for me at least it's knowing that somebody else has just related to what I said so whatever I'm laughing internally because the reason why I find it funny there's a stranger that I've never met before and he also finds it funny and it's that connection it just it's, it's the craziest thing just knowing you're like yeah we, we yeah. have that in common you know we're laughing at that it's something else that's why the the laughs are just so so powerful because i feel it's harder to make somebody laugh than it is to make them cry 
You know what I mean? Like make them cry. I don't even have to really try. You could just uh, touch on a subject that's hurtful just to them. It doesn't really hurt you and get them to cry. Mm-hmm. But for you to both be laughing, to understand each other at that level and that comfort because they need to be comfortable with you to laugh at you right you've seen sometimes crowds when it's early on they're not ready to laugh yet yeah, of course so they're cold so in order for them to warm up to you it's so much it's such a it's such a visceral feeling so much work into it uh, the payoff is is unbelievable sometimes the easiest way to make someone cry actually is uh, to talk to them about their comedy career <laughs> so usually I found that's the best way with your peers it's just like oh so you didn't get that okay are you, are you happy in general with your career like do you feel like in well, terms I mean, you of always you, want better no no but in terms of you because look a lot of the stuff that happens to us as comics mm-hmm. is out of our control mm-hmm. sometimes you, you know that and it just hurts because you're like oh man somebody else is choosing for me mm-hmm. you know you don't but in terms of the stuff that you yourself can't control you feel like you're comfortable with that at least you've done what you had to do well I mean there's certain yeah there are certain circumstances right now that are out of my control uh, that are limiting what I can and can't do but at the same time you know I'm also I consider myself to be a very lucky and blessed performer in the city in that for the last well not, it's not quite five years but in April it'll be five years that I've paid all my bills making people laugh that's amazing and there's not a lot of people who can say that you know now it's you know, it's not like I'm driving around in a Ferrari or anything, but I'm also not, you know, working at Tim Hortons or something. There's nothing wrong with that job, by the way, but I'm just saying a lot of times the actually the only jobs you can have as a performer, as you know, that, you know, jobs that will accommodate your career of working nights and weekends and stuff like that will be low-wage, either retail or service industry jobs. Which kill your soul, really. Oh, of, of course. They, yeah, they totally destroy you. So to be in a position where I don't have to do that, but I'm lucky because I get enough road gigs. You know, I've got the burlesque troupe as well. i uh, got all these little things that keep me busy and keep me employed doing this so that I have more time to write. I have more time to, to think about what I want to do. Uh, I just have more free time also to, to, to watch things that have nothing to do with comedy. You know, when I'm not performing, the last thing I want to do is watch comedy. There's like 20 specials on Netflix, comedy, you know, not comedy specials on Netflix. People have been talking, oh, you got to watch this, you got to watch this. And I'll get around to it. But every time I go online, the last thing I want to watch is comedy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I want to watch a good depressing documentary where, you know, children run around with their heads on fire. Like, I need something to take me out of just laughing all the time. You know, you you can't. I I, I I'm amazed that there are people we know who, who are like that's all they do is they just watch comedy, comedy, comedy. I get it, but I'm not, I'm not that, at that place anymore, and I I, I need balance. Do like, you know why I avoid it? Why? I don't want anybody else's voice in my head comedically. Yeah. Sometimes I'll avoid the clubs for a couple of weeks, purposely because I don't want to be too close to the same comics, the same subject matter. So I like to go in with something fresh. Because I know that whether you like it or not, you're not going to repeat the same joke, but you might start talking about the same subject because yeah. you hear a lot of people talking about it. And it's hard because as a human being, if something interests you, you start talking, I don't know, for example, you go on, you, you have a bit, like, just as an example, you start talking about milk and then uh, something that happened in the milk industry. And then that piques my curiosity. So I start looking into it and then I'll start talking yeah. about the milk industry. And then there could be two separate jokes, but we could be on at the same time of the same night, let's say, and we'll both have milk jokes that are relevant to each other. Yeah. And 
maybe the crowd will be like, hey, what the hell, that's a little odd, or they won't care, or they will. But for us personally, you know, for us, it's going to be like, come on, man, fucking, I'm doing the milk stuff right now. You do the lettuce shit, who cares? Yeah. You know, things like that. So I don't want to have anybody else's voice in my head, so I avoid the, but there's guys like Bill Burr that I just, I love. Yeah. So when the new special comes out, I'll obviously watch it because I'm so curious yeah. and I'm so excited about it. But in general, I do the same thing. I see them and I, people talk about them, but I got to avoid it because I don't want another voice in my head. But you also have a lot of friends outside of comedy, and yeah. you enjoy hanging out with them too. Exactly, because you're not talking shop all the time, and you're not bullshitting, and you're not complaining about gigs or gigs you got or didn't get. Or, they won't get it. <laughs> and yeah, and I mean, like sometimes that's one of the the things we all deal with when when all you're doing is hanging out with comedians. Sometimes you get people who are always running jokes by you, and they try to sneak it into conversation. Or they're just talking shop. This happened last night. This happened here. And it's, yeah, you want to know what's going on in the scene. But sometimes... There's limits. Yeah. I cherish those nights that I hang out with my friends, you know, that have nothing to do with comedy. And we're not talking at all about it. And maybe at the end of the night, they might ask, so you got a show coming up? And I'll be like, yeah, here, here, and here. You know, they might say, hey, when's your next gig? And I'll say, well, I happen to be performing at the Comedy Works on February 25th, 26th, and 27th. 2016. Tickets are still available. Tickets for that. available. Uh, Twelve thirty-eight Bishop, uh, just below St. Catherine Street, ComedyWorksMTL.ca, and that was one of the legendary Montreal clubs. It is. It's, it is. It's. Uh, uh, you know, we've got two amazing clubs in the city, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm honored to be a part of that legacy. Uh, it's cool because I I saw um, I saw John Stewart perform there years ago, uh, and you know they used to have a picture of Louis C.K. on the wall when he still had no beard, you know, and, and to think, uh, they actually had John Stewart there as their New Year's Eve act. So like to be, to be headlining and, you know, co-headlining on the same stage that John Stewart and Lucy Kay and all these guys did. Yeah, that feels really, really cool. Um, it's well deserved too. I mean, no, thank you. You've, uh, you've done a lot in the city. You've done a lot also out. That's the thing I wanted to talk about is I remember last year you decided to take some time off Montreal comedy scene and said, fuck it, I'm going to New York. Yeah, I was there for two months. I initially thought I thought you were gonna stay a lot less, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was the plan initially, and then you just liked it. You were getting gigs repeatedly. You met so many people, yeah. and uh, you said, "Hey, I'll just tough it out a bit longer." Well, initially, I went in April, uh, just sort of as a or May, I think it was, as sort of a fact finding mission of like, what's the scene like a little bit, and I got on stage once that time. I was actually there also to see some some uh, a music concert. But I looked into the scene a little bit, and I met up with one of my friends that I'd, I'd worked with, uh, a stand-up friend. Then, I, But when I went back in July, uh, end of June, July, I was there for two months. And the plan was always to go for two months and try and get us on as many stages as possible. I brought my works in progress. I brought all the jokes I had that were kind of not completely done or jokes that I wasn't happy with, that jokes that I had done a few times. But I just felt there was something missing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take these. I'm not going to take anything that works. I'm not going to take anything that's tried and true. Uh, I had a few New York comedians that had told me for years, hey, you know what? Your stuff would do better in New York. Some of your stuff will do better there than it will in Montreal or any other city. There's a, a certain type of crowd there that will really go for what you're doing. And uh, I, they offered always, like, hey, let us know when you're in town. We'll help you out. But I didn't call any of them. And I really wanted to go like at the bottom rung and just see what is it like for like a, a, a nobody to go in. Uh, I had credentials they could have used to open some doors and get on some, some stages, but I wanted to really just tough it out. And the nice thing was that without using credentials, I performed that one open mic where the manager was there, saw me, told the MC, send that guy over. 
So I'm done with my set, and that's the first time I'm on that stage. And it was a week into living in New York. The manager comes up to me and says, you know what you're doing up there. I said, I've been at it for a little while. He says, uh, we need someone to MC the next two weeks. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, but, you know, I don't have my papers to work here. Just so you know, I'm here on vacation. He said, no, don't worry about that. We'll just, you know, we'll just, you know. Anyway, there was a, a deal was made. <laughs> but it was really flattering that, you know, you go into one of the toughest cities in the world for comedy and you're not using any kind of influence and you're just showing what you can do, and that was enough for someone to go, yeah, we want to give you some work. Uh, that was that was a major compliment for me, watching some amazing comedians. But you, you were talking about just now about having certain ideas, and you know, like the milk thing that you were talking about. The the funny thing is when you do go to another city, you see what sort of the the zeitgeist is there. That vibe. Yeah, yeah. and like two things that I saw every day. At, at when I was when I was checking out the open mics every single day there would be and it was always some dumb white kid from out of town who would get on stage and try to do an edgy 9-11 joke and they were never funny and um, it's been a while yeah yeah and uh, and it was just boring but the other thing that you could tell who the out of town comedians were and who the the, the New York comedians were was material and you knew it was a new york comedian if at some point during his set he talked or she talked about gentrification um that's a major issue and a major concern so the moment you hear gentrification you're like okay that's a new yorker if you don't hear gentrification you're like okay maybe he's from texas you know that's so interesting yeah it, because it's just such a problem there but again if you talk about gentrification here that it's not an issue in montreal you know, it's, I mean, kind of is, really. slightly. Like, it's, the thing is that whatever gentrification we have here is so slow. Like, Park X yeah. used to be Greek. Mm -hmm. It's still slightly Greek. Very little. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's why slightly. But, you know, a lot of it now, like on the Jean-Talon area, is very uh, East Indian, mm -hmm. right? But that's a gentrification that took like 40 years. Yeah, it took a while. You know, that's not gentrification. That's just, you know, the passage of time. Yeah, it wasn't aggressive. It was just yeah. na you know, nature took its course. Yeah, but like, you know, a bunch of rich white assholes moving into a neighborhood and now you can't afford rent in your apartment and your favorite little businesses got shut down because they got replaced with stupid cafes. Uh, that's gentrification. Yeah, that's aggressive. Yeah, and that's happening in Brooklyn and Queens and all over the place. So yeah, people are pissed about it and they're talking about it. But yeah, I mean, like I was feeling left out that I didn't have a gentrification joke. I was like, I want to fit in. I don't have anything because uh, I, you know, it's not a reality to me. You know, it's not. It's not something I've ever had to deal with, fortunately. But uh, but yeah, it, it, you totally see that, and I, I guess you go to any city. And you'll, you know, you can sort of see what's on the pulse of what's people of what what people are worried about the most. Did you, because like for example here in Montreal, you're used to it. You have your um, kind of your comedy scene. We have our own scene here. Did you miss it at all? I know there's more mics in New York. Like yeah. you could go around doing a lot more mics, but it's still the the number of mics might not compare to the feeling you get with the specific mics they will have here. So did you miss it at all? Were you content in having that adventure, knowing that at some point you are going to come back to Montreal? Well, I knew I was going to come back after the two months, so I didn't miss it in that sense. I missed some people. I met, you know, there was people I missed, certainly. Not you, but there was other people <laughs> that I missed. 
and no, I miss, I miss, I miss the family. You know, yeah. like you, you, you begin to appreciate after a while that you know, comedy really is uh, is a family in the true sense that you know we all there is a genuine love and respect we have for each other. We might not like each other, but we're our family. And we, we, at the end of the day, we will look out for each other. I noticed that more and more recently whenever I go to a mic or uh, it's just when you see people, it's like, like on Wednesday at the, the Nest, right? Uh, like Emma, for example, I hadn't seen Emma Wilkin in a while, I saw Sean Stanton. Like, you, I just feel good. You yeah. know, I see them and yeah. I'm happy to see them and I want to know what they've been up to. And uh, I don't know, it just feels good when we're all reunited. And it's rare, a lot of us, because there's so many of us that are in the same room at the same, everybody has different mics to yeah. go to, you know? So when we're all there, just that feeling I get, that's where it comes in. And I, now I understand, because you are saying in the beginning when I started too, how if you continue, it's going to become like a family. Mm-hmm. I said, what are Absolutely. your comedy friends? What are your real? And he said, you'll see. You know, if you yeah. stay in it long enough, you'll realize. And now I do. Like, I'm always excited. I want to share stories with them and let them know, oh, this happened to me when I was out of town. I did this. And I want to, I just feel good around them. You know, and they're also the best critics because most of them. The good thing about comics is we're all crazy. So a lot of times, if something doesn't work, like, what are you? That is stupid. What are you talking about? You know, like there's no other way that could be interpreted. You know, that is dumb. So they'll tell you. Whereas other people, unless they're your close friends, they'll not. They'll be like, oh, that was so funny. It was great, and they'll let you continue saying something ridiculous. There are different levels of crazy. There are some people that probably have some sort of mental illness. (laughs) Some of us are just a little eccentric. Uh, you know, and there's people who are just like, yeah, they're kind of crazy. They're nutty. They like to party. You'll be crazy if you miss me at the Comedy Works this weekend, February <laughs> 25th, 26th, and 27th, 8.30, 10.30 shows on Friday and Saturday. That's the third shameless plug. We're going to have a few more. It's a, this is just in case Penthouse chooses to edit any of them out. So. I won't. I won't leave them. Good. We'll leave them all in so yeah. we can do a master mix of them all. But uh, yeah, I missed uh, I missed some of the people, and I got messages from people while I was there. Hey, how's it going over there? And you know, when I left New York, I'd made some friends there, so that they were messaging me and be like, "Hey, you know, how are you? And and you know, when are you coming back? And all that." And uh, and it was I was really really touched. And the uh, funny thing is, when I went back in June of, uh, of last year, because uh, like I was actually in New York in 2014, but when I went back for a week in June, I stopped by some of, my, some of the same hangouts, and one of them, you know, I got this hero's welcome at a place called Auto Shrunken Head, where I'm just there, and like some people hadn't seen me in a year, they're just, you know, they, like they like ran to hug me, and they were so happy to see me, and it, it felt so good. But what was funny is that there were some people there who had never seen me before. And they just see some of the guys that they know, like, you know, just circling around me and, and you know, like respecting me, but like asking me all these questions. And, and so, like, I was the center of attention. And I, I actually could hear one of them going, who is that guy? Is he famous? And, and so all of a sudden, a couple of these guys just they come up to me like, hey, my name is so-and-so. And like introducing themselves like just in case there was some opportunity. And it was just like, no, I'm nobody. Like, you know, I'm nobody you should necessarily need to know. But it was uh, it was very flattering. And, uh, and uh, yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't say that I missed the rooms because like it's not that I didn't miss the rooms, but it was just I was on such an adrenaline rush of trying to get as many stages there. Like I got on stage 135 times in two months. And when you're doing that, plus you're also, I'm also checking out cultural stuff. You know, I'm taking a few days off to do things like I went to a Daily Show taping and I went to a a Colbert Report taping. And, you know, I I was checking out different restaurants and, and, you know, taking little trips and hanging out and, uh, you know, hanging out with some friends that I'd made and stuff. But, you know, when you're in performance mode, 
all you've got time to do is like you get on a stage and then you've got such a rush that now you're trying to go to the other side of town to get on stage too. So all you've got time to do is, is get to the subway station, jump into the subway, get to the next stop. And so all you can do is you just have enough time to review the set you just did in your head and keep replaying it and thinking about it. Maybe you're listening to it on your iPod and uh, you know figuring out what changes you're going to make for the next time you do it, which is you know in 10 minutes. So then you go back and you hit stage three when you're done after stage two. Now you're running to another venue that's a few blocks away. or So now you're reviewing performance one and performance two and replaying them in your mind or re-listening to them and making more changes. And then, you know, when you're done, you're racing over to stage number four and you're reviewing stage, you know, performances one, two, and three. So you've just got this adrenaline and this energy of just, just going. And because New York is such a fast-paced city, like everyone just... You walk faster, you move faster. So now even your brain is just moving faster because all you've got time to do is think about, well, what the hell did I just do and, and how can I fix this? And, and uh, you know, you want to take what you've done and improve it and tighten it and tighten it and tighten it. And and you just see these, you know, jokes take off and evolve and you, you, know, you see it with other people too. They have this idea and you're like, Meh. and then three days later you see, you're like, shit, that joke's got polish on it because they've done it 15 times. And yeah, I mean, you, we both know here, like try doing a joke 15 times in, in a month here. Oof, that's hard. You know, like like that's something people might not know if they don't, you know, depending on what they know about the craft of comedy from listening. You, you know, you rarely get a joke right the first time. Mm. Um, you, it's multiple performances where you're tweaking little things here and there. And, the cadence of your voice, yeah. the when mm. you're going to peak, all that stuff. And here, what people don't understand is they'll tell me like when I say, oh, I really want to go to an open mic, I, I got to practice some stuff. And like, why are you going open mic? I mean, you're doing the weekends, but you can't test stuff on the weekends. No. You can't. You have to do try and true stuff because you can't disappoint them, you know? Yeah. But people don't understand that. So like for us, open mics and just mics that you could uh, use them as a boxing ring, they're critical. They're, they're priceless. And I love that. Yeah. You know, you, you don't get a better chance to actually uh, extend your set. Oh, absolutely. And, and really the only way you can test and develop, as you said, uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, and the sad thing is, what you just said was, well, you can't do that. But you and I have both witnessed and heard and seen, experienced people that we know going up there on open mic uh, on weekends with untested jokes and bombing. I've and seen bombing. them bomb, and, and then bombing. I get frustrated because I'll say things after, like, really, dude, like that was so unnecessary. Yeah, it's a weekend spot. I've seen people go up on on weekends with notes. Oh, uh, by the way, the note thing. Can I tell you something that's interesting about the note thing? Sure. We're so used to it. Uh, I don't really pay attention to it that much uh, unless I see it on the weekend. But somebody made a comment to me after the show on Wednesday because one of the comics went out with notes. Mm. And they mentioned, they said, uh, right away when I saw the notes, I kind of uh, didn't, I already started not enjoying the comedian because of the notes. And I said, yeah, but it's an open mic. They want, you know, the stuff we forget. We, like, no, it, it, as an audience member, it makes us, it kind of distances, like, it, it makes us think that person is not uh, a comedian, is not a pro. What they do is not uh, worth listening to when they have the notes. Interesting. That's and very, I, very interesting. Yeah. I'm so close to it and because I, I write so much. I never bring notes on stage because I write so much when I sit with a notepad. For me, I feel like, oh, that's their, you know, I see as a comic, yeah. as a comic. But apparently for the crowd, a lot of people don't uh, attribute it to a professional uh, way of being on stage. There's some comedians that's part of their shtick. A guy like uh, like Richard Lewis, <laughs> he brings this massive notepad on stage. But part of it, too, is because 
at any given time when he's performing, he might have three or four hours worth of ideas on his notepad. And every show he does is completely different. So he doesn't know what he's going to talk about that night, but he has all these like little jump words on his, on his sheet. I'm, I'm making the f outline of a sheet while talking. So in case there's an interactive video component to the podcast, the audience can see it. <laughs> but, but yeah, so he'll just look at the notepad and he'll see a word, you know, fire truck or whatever. And he'll talk about an experience he had in, in Poughkeepsie involving a fire truck or, or whatever it is. But, but, uh, but yeah, I think when people go to see him, they kind of expect it. One, one time when I saw George Carlin, he had notes on stage. I've seen, uh, I've seen videos of George Carlin with notes. Yeah, and I, I never, it never bothered me with him because I, like he was also one of these guys who was like, yeah, I'm just, he's changing it up all the time that you, you sort of expect that, yeah, he's going to keep it raw. And he went through those tours where he would, you know, just work on the newer ideas. And then the second half of the tour, he wouldn't have the notes or for the TV special. Plus, he was also getting on in his years, and it's like you know. You forget. Yeah. I personally don't mind. I just care about the 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 performers. I care about the experience. Yeah. If what's happening is funny, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I couldn't care less if you're up there with an iPad. Like, but, it, it, I don't think it'll bother me as long as your performance is where it's supposed to be. I don't. See, but then everybody's different. You know? Yeah. No, but it's a good point because that you know that's something that uh, I hear every once in a while, and and uh, and I'm guilty of bringing notes up on stage here and there, and uh, for open mics. Uh, when I have a lot of different ideas, I'm like, I'm just not sure what I want to talk about yet tonight. So I'll take all these things and see what happens. But um, I, la I think the worst ever I saw of notes was last year during the festival. I went to see Dana Gould and he was great. And he had an opener, really young guy. And this guy brought notes and he did like a, a seven-minute set, a ten-minute set to open for Dana Gould. And I just thought, you know, you're in one of the biggest festivals in the world. You're doing seven minutes. You're doing seven minutes. If you're in this festival, it's because you, in theory, can hold your own. You couldn't remember seven minutes? Like, like even if it was ten minutes or fifteen, you know, if you're at that level where you're being invited to do a festival... You should be able to do it without notes. Yeah, I feel the same way. And uh, it's funny because I was there with Jacob and uh, John St. Goddard. Uh, we were all sitting watching and like all three of us said it audibly. We all said more or less the same thing, which was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, it, <laughs> oh, is, and it was frustrating. If you yeah, it was almost like a choir from the top because we all said it just under our breath and we just looked at each other because we could all hear each other because we were all just sort of in shock that this guy would and he had good material he had, you know he wasn't he wasn't horrible or anything but it was more just the principle of like bringing notes on stage just for laughs for, for, yeah it's crazy when you look at it like I, before i continue actually one of the habits because i pick up habits from comics that tell me things so darren henwood has instilled in me i can't go on stage anymore with anything in my pockets of him mm -hmm. and, or nothing written on my shirt my shirt needs to be plain color because yeah. of him he's the one who told me you don't want to distract the audience by either trying to read your shirt 
or seeing the, the phone bulge and being like, oh, is that a phone? What kind of phone is that? You get them thinking keys. Yeah. So because of Darren, whenever I go on stage, I always have to leave all my stuff behind. I can't have any in my pockets. It, it would psychologically would bother me. Yeah. So I always, you know, you talk with guys and you always pick. And he's one of the guys that uh, I, I think is one of the best we, we have in the city or had because he wants to move. He's going to Toronto soon. Apparently, yeah. yeah. So um, from him, coming from him, I took him very seriously. You know, and uh, I feel like he's right too, because I could see how if I had something written on my shirt, it would the first couple of minutes, at least for the first thirty seconds while I'm talking, people would be focusing on reading my shirt. Yeah, it but, creates questions like like right now you're wearing, we're both wearing Greek related t-shirts. I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing my Tassos t-shirt. Yeah, Greek island t-shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing Greek just island. a big Greek yeah. flag that says yeah. Greece. And but that's the kind of thing. Like we'll use that as a hypothetical. Like you're on stage wearing that that hoodie with the word Greece on it, the flag. There's going to be someone thinking automatically, oh, he's Greek. I wonder if both his parents are Greek. I wonder what island they're from. I wonder, oh, if it's just one side of the Does he speak Greek? Is, is he going to say anything speak? about being Greek? Has he been there? Yeah. Exactly. Is he going to talk about this? Is And um, that was something that I mentioned to people too when I started was just, yeah, the, you know, try to avoid a distraction. Like, yeah, it's great that you want to wear a Kiss t-shirt or whatever, but, you know, or, but now you're making people wonder about why you are wearing that. Yeah. Is it related to what you're saying? Yeah. Like those back in the day, those comics in the 80s that used to always wear Hawaiian shirts and make jokes about the, the blown clowns yeah. and things like that. Now, oh, going back to what you said, because it's very important about... Um, so you see a guy with notes going on just for last we're doing just seven minutes. Yeah. I think the biggest frustration for local comics here is that we have a lot of talent. There's a lot of talented comics here that don't really get a chance, yeah. you know, to be at the festival, to actually perform in the festival. We get showcases, but a lot of us, most of us, 99.9% of us don't make it to the festival, even though we're locals. So to see somebody come from somewhere else, yeah, not be able to hold his own without notes, at least for just a seven-minute set, right, which we would do with our eyes closed, um, and be that one step ahead of you just for being, what, out of town, just for being... We're, yeah, yeah. There's all these questions that open, just like the T-shirt opens questions. Seeing a guy with notes opens questions for locals. It's like, so what was it so special that a guy, this guy with notes? But also, I think you can't help but think if one of us had gone up with notes, that would be the last time we ever performed there. Yeah. So of course, you know, and that's a and that's a fair thing. But it's funny because now they're doing three rounds of auditions. They're doing three three rooms. Last year they they ended up. Auditioning about 35, 37 people. 37. And uh, in a row? In a, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> it was in a row. Uh, another clerk's reference for anyone who's uh, for all the listeners. Oh, they got it. But the, the funny thing is that I remember, it's funny, I was talking to someone else about this just this morning. How when I first started, one of my buddies, who I'm, I'm still in touch with, he doesn't perform anymore, which is a shame because he, he was a funny, funny fucker. Uh, but he's married and he's got kids and he's settled down. He just doesn't have time for comedy. Now he's in, I think he's in Tennessee. or No, he's in one of the Carolinas, actually. Uh, a guy named Dan Skolden, really funny guy. He got an audition after four months and he deserved it. And the thing is, I had already been doing comedy for maybe a year. And I wasn't jealous. I was happy for him. One, because he was my friend. But two, because he deserved it. Because he was just so good. And he was also different. And the thing is that uh, when I started, you knew that if you were lucky, there was a, you had like a, maybe a one in three chance of getting an audition. And I think the problem now is that it's not just that they have three nights of auditions. 
it's that each night has like 10, 12 people. Last year, one of the audition shows was two hours long. Jesus. I remember I went to see it, and I remember seeing a good 15 people get up and leave the room before the auditions were done. And I felt bad for the last four or five acts because they, you know, the audience was just tired. You know, everyone's doing seven minutes. It's a, it, you know, it's a two-hour show. Like, people are drained, especially when, when the comedians are pushing and giving as much as they do during an audition night. And I think it would have been better, and it would be better, if they cut it down to six or seven acts per audition. So bring it back to, like, there's a one in three chance locally. At least then, because, I mean, that's what, like, the person that called me this morning was, was talking about how, you know, they want to run around and tell their friends, I got an audition, but a couple of their friends have already been asking, and it's clear that they didn't get them. And there's a feeling of, like, well, what did I do wrong, or why don't I have an audition? You know, when it feels like almost everyone has an audition except you, you feel left out. And I think if they were more selective about the auditions, less people would feel that. There'd be more of a, like, okay, well, I guess it's just not my turn this year. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, like, when, when I started, what we saw the auditions as was like, okay, well, if you didn't get one this year, it means you need to up your game for next year. You know, it wasn't like, well, I just, I guess they just didn't give it to me. Because, you know, my nine friends have one and I'm the one who didn't. So, you know, I think uh, I think maybe, maybe le less is more in that approach. I agree with you. I feel like, I mean, I, uh, I mean I've i only been doing this for four years now. So um, last year was the first time I ever got an audition and I was super excited for it. Before that, I never felt, you know, scolded or I never felt like a... Like they were mad at me, or I wasn't. They didn't think I was good enough. I knew it's because I was still young. Mm. Uh, I didn't feel like I deserved it. I didn't have. I didn't do enough in comedy, right? Uh, even though a lot of people around me were getting them, but they've been doing it for longer than I was. Then last year when I finally got it, uh, it was exciting, super super exciting. Uh, and also the big thing for me was because I got to do the audition at the Nest, mm. right? So yeah. I felt at home, and I felt like I had a good set. Um, but then reality kicked in when I started thinking about the number of comics that were on and just look at the history of Montreal comedians, the local scene, how they were treated, if at all, during the festivals. So that kind of started to darken the whole thing. I was like, eh, I mean, it's less than the, the one out of how many we performed. I think it's even less. I mean, I'd be lucky, I go, if they pick somebody that they auditioned, if they don't pick somebody that didn't even audition, but they just want to take. And yeah, you almost feel that they take a, an even smaller ratio of Montreal comedians. It almost feels like to show that they're not biased and, and, and showing favoritism here, they're they like, treat us harder. Yeah, let's put less people on, so we're not, you know, so it doesn't look like we're just putting on locals, and uh, and I I think it, it's almost it's an attempt to not seem biased, and in the process ends up looking biased because it's like wow. You know, you put none of them on, kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's it's hard to know what what goes into their minds, but um, but yeah. Did they, you get one this year? Uh, I'm not auditioning this year. I auditioned last year, but uh, but you know, uh, at the same time, it's like I would not have the time to focus on putting an audition together because I'm more focused on uh, putting, you know, making sure that I deliver a good weekend. Yeah, and yeah, I'm recording all those performances anyway on you know audio and digital, you know, on video. So, you know, they can have a look at that instead. 
but this is the this is the year where I was actually like I really hope I don't get asked because I don't need that distraction right now. So uh, a couple people turned them down as well. Like I know Darren turned it down. Really? Yeah, because he's out of town as well. And uh, uh, the other thing is I don't. I'll be in New York again this summer. So it's one of those things that even if I like on the long shot, like if I did get in with the audition, well, I, I wouldn't be here to perform. So. I'd, I'd rather go back and do some, some stage time in New York because I could get more stage time, you know. I've, I've done the festival, it's fine. I don't necessarily need to do, to do it again so soon. I would, um, I don't know, it's always been, I mean, it's always it's, been a dream for me it, to It's everyone's dream, but... So inside me, like, no matter what, I want to have that opportunity and get a chance to do it. But you're right, the more I move into it, Peter, honestly, the more I see the business side of it, um, which kind of loses the, the allure you know you see how it's not really about the arts always you know it's, yeah. it's the bottom line is always one thing um, it does kind of scare me and then I think what if I pass because right now I'm doing I find that I'm doing well in common I'm getting more and more gigs I'm, uh, I'm performing different places I have every time I go to LA I have a great fucking time I've gone to perform at some of the biggest clubs in the world yeah. uh, with great reception that's the biggest thing it's not like I went in I bombed and everybody hates Montreal now, you know what I mean? Uh, from the stuff I talk about, they know the communists, I always mention that, they know where I'm from, they like the material, and they're surprised a lot of times uh, about the No Just for Laughs. Mm. And uh, in LA, in October actually, one of the, the host actually told me, I think he's like, hey, how, what's happening with Just for Laughs? Like, can you get in that? And I let him know that it's harder for the locals. And he said, out here, your material, you have one credit like that, everybody's booking you. He goes, if you had one credit, he goes, your materials back. He goes, I'm very surprised that they don't put you. And I try to explain how many we are and yeah. how difficult it is to get on and all that. But yeah, the, you get more love out of town, different places. They respect what you do more than uh, the local... Uh... Well, it's one of the oldest sayings, right? That you can never be a prophet in your hometown. Hmm. And I think that's just part of it. Like I said, you know, I went to New York with not using any credentials, not waving anything, not making any phone calls that I could have and said, hey, open these doors for me. Uh, and without using any of that and just you know what came out of my mouth uh, I got you know I got work within a week you know paid work and being offered to do something you know and uh, when I went last June for a week you know for a week you know I showed up at the some of the old places that I went to like I was telling you and another venue I show up and uh, the guy asks me uh, how long you in town for one of my buddies a guy named Ben Conrad is, uh, and I told him, like, I'm just in town for a few, you know, I'm just in town for the week. He's like, do you have anything booked for tomorrow? I said, no, I wasn't really planning on, on performing on Sunday night. He says, would you like to? I was like, yeah. He gets on his phone right away and he calls this person I've never met before. And he says, yeah, I got a buddy. He's in from Montreal and, you know, he's done this, this and this. He's like, he's, funny. he's like, yeah, he's good. And so sends me over. I do the gig. And as soon as I'm done, uh, the, the woman organizing it says, uh, let me know the next time you're in town. I'd love to have you back every time. You see what you I know? mean? Like yeah. You get that kind of love. Yeah. And so I, I don't begrudge it. Like I understand why it is the way it is. And I think it's just the normal process of things that, you know, like I said, you're just not a prophet in your hometown. But you can be a headliner in your hometown at the Comedy Works. February 25th, 26th, 27th, Bishop Street below St. Catherine, ComedyWorksMTL.ca. I do feel like it makes us better though here, um, given that there's so many good comics, and given that the the top spots, like the weekend spots, are so hard to come by. Yeah, I felt like it's made me a much better comedian because anywhere I go, like 
I'll give you an example. Like a lot of people, I never talk about stage or no, but the first time I ever got on stage at the comedy store, mm. the okay. nerves that I had was worse than the first time I didn't open mic because of the history of the place, yeah. the the rarity of me going in and being able to jump on, all that stuff was affected. And then I told you who was just sitting on the, it was the roast night. So on the side, there was Joe Rogan, um, uh, Jeff Ross, Tony Hinch, all of them were just hanging out there in front, you know, so it was just adding to the pressure. But when I got on, I still had, I guess, training wise here locally, right? Like when you get that one shot here, you got to take it like the showcase with the nest. When, when Akra asks, hey, I want you for a showcase, you got to bring it. I used that in me that like, no, the second you start talking, this is your fucking stage. You own it. You show them what you're made of, you know? And I feel if I didn't get that kind of treatment here where you had to fight for everything, you had to scramble and beat, I might have bombed that whole set. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the nerves had, had, wouldn't, had never been higher. And then I used that. Then uh, when I went back, I did other rooms on it. It was more, I was more comfortable. I was more into it. Like, yeah, I'm from out of town. It's This is a little bit scary, but it, I embraced it. I, I embraced the fun of it. I embraced how rare it is and all that and just enjoy it. Let it go. And I, I attribute 100% to uh, my work here and the nest and and Franco today who brings me on his all, all yeah. his shows and lets me perform in, in front of different crowds so you know how to kind of gauge them and all that Absolutely. all training like like samurais all, oh, yeah. all training I mean another thing that helps is we have some great rooms that are also lousy rooms you, you know what I mean is you take something like uh, like blue dog which you know there's barely a spotlight so it you know like there are little technical things that that get in the way of an audience appreciating a show that you might not realize. And, and so you enjoy the show, but it wasn't as, you didn't laugh as much. And sometimes it's the comedian, but but there are also technical aspects mm-hmm. that, that, you know, are barriers. The same way that if you perform without a microphone or a PA, it's not gonna work. If you don't have a proper spotlight, it's harder to connect with the audience. You know, you take, uh, the M bar, the C, you know, the room the ceiling runs. I like that room. It's, I love the room, but there's also podiums. You know, those get in the way of connecting with the audience. Uh, the sound system isn't superb. True. All the lights are on. You know, generally people laugh more when there's some anonymity. When you see the crowd and the crowd sees each other, they they may be ambivalent about laughing because if they're laughing at something that's a little out there, uh, they might they might look like a weirdo. You know, or, or they'll feel like that. So, you know, these are all little factors that get in the way. But I'm not mentioning them to criticize the rooms and burn bridges. Uh, I'll burn bridges differently. But I'm mentioning them because these are good things. These are the equivalent of running with weights around your ankles. Not that I run. But they, uh, you, you know, what I'm saying is that when you have all these obstacles and you still connect with the crowd, you know, then when you go to a room where, where it's an optimum setup, you just, you, you it's can a do home run. better. Yeah. yeah. And for a long time at the nest, the way the stage was positioned, you know, where it was a longer, it was difficult, yeah. yeah. And with the high ceiling where laughter just goes up into the air and it's gone. Um, all the, we have to edit the yawn. All these little things, you know, when you have all these little factors, they can get in the way of how you connect. So then when you when you do perform in the rooms that don't have that, it's just a smoother, tighter connection. And, you know, you're, you know, it's like when you go to a place like Absolute in Ottawa. Oh. Where it's a cakewalk because it's, it's the ideal dynamics of a room. So you go up there and even with jokes that aren't, like people laugh at setups there, you know. Yeah. They're not even laughing at the punchlines. They're just laughing at, 
what the heck you're talking about, you know, just as you're introducing the joke. You, know, you get people laughing the moment you take the stage. You know, everything is set up right. I did Absolute in Kingston a couple of years ago, and it was, that's where I met uh, Andy Pitts. Okay. And it, he was headlining that weekend, and it was phenomenal, like just in terms of how into it they were, and, and everybody was telling me Absolute has the, some of the best rooms. Oh, yeah. And, and it was true, it was just, it was very conducive to comedy. And uh, I never did the one in Ottawa, even though everybody's telling me, you have to do the one in Ottawa. Uh, maybe this summer, so I'm going to try to get out there mm. uh, just to experience it. But yeah, they, they really, some people really get the room right. And actually, Acker is, is one of the guys in the city who's guilty of trying everything to get the room right. He knows that there's a science behind it. So he yeah. tries to do little tweaks, whether it's the lighting, changing the stage around, all that stuff. Even the, the type of microphone that's used. The type of microphone, that yeah. it's just... But you don't see it a lot. There's a lot. Most owners, and I do say most, I've met, I've, I've had the luxury of performing at a lot of different places, uh, don't care. Yeah. A lot of them are just like, ah, just do your, your fucking time. Well, they don't realize how much better the show is going to be with minor tweaks. My, we're not asking for anything crazy, right? I don't need lasers or special effects. Yeah. Just make sure the lighting's right, not too bright. Yeah. People are uncomfortable if it's too bright. I just uh, did a road show where for lighting, they use those garage lights, those halogens that are usually like on a yellow frame. And they were shooting them off the stage upwards. So we all looked like villains. <laughs> and also the microphone they were using is what you call a condenser mic. So it picks up everything. And the moment you would hold the microphone and just move it, it would rattle and you'd hear the wind uh. effect. But it would also pop all the time. And these are little distractions. And they don't seem like much. They are, they are. But they add up. And, they, and what they end up doing is... We all felt on that particular night that we were like 15% less funny. And it's, it's like if the lights were better and the sound was better, we would do better. Now that's, that's coming from the four of us who had all been doing comedy for at least 10, 12 years. Now, if you don't know these things, if you don't learn about sort of the technical science to, to comedy and you go up there and you're performing in a room that's poorly designed, poorly set up, a shitty microphone, a shitty lighting system, and you don't get laughs, you don't know why it didn't work. All of a sudden, you're like, I don't understand. I, I thought I did my best. Why didn't they laugh? It's not, it, you know? And the worst part is that when you're starting and you hit the, these technical, like, like, like same situation, let's say a comedian of two years experience doing that gig, He's not connecting with the audience as much as he should. The big laugh he's expecting is a little less. He'll get nervous. He'll start to panic. He's going to lose his confidence on stage, and his act is going to go further and further down, and eventually it's in the toilet, and the audience isn't reacting. Whereas a seasoned comedian recognizes the technical aspects and goes, oh, okay, the lighting is wrong, the sound system isn't perfect. I need to push harder. I need to hit those punchlines harder and emphasize the jokes. And then you come back and you win them back and you still have a good performance and the audience still enjoys it. You still go home going, well, it could have been better. But at least you at least you took charge of the situation. You find, because you've been doing this a while now, do you have, have you made any enemies in comedy? I think we all do. I mean, I think at some point we will make enemies, you know, those people that you, you can't respect. Uh, for me, I'm very much a heart-on-my-sleeve person. Uh, I don't tolerate plagiarism. Oh, yeah, we know this, dude. We've been through this. And, uh, I mean, I haven't seen a comic... Well, I can't say that. I haven't seen a comic say that appreciates plagiarism, but I mean, 
most of us in the crew, you know, ones that we know, the ones that hang out with, uh, that's the worst of the worst. Yeah, and uh, I don't, so, so people like that, I just avoid, you know, and if you're just going to be a bloated idiot cokehead who steals jokes, I don't consider you to be a legitimate <laughs> comedian. I consider you to be, you know, an oxygen thief. And if you want to do something honorable, you know, I don't know, buy a couple of feet of rope and maybe just take yourself out of the picture. Do we know this cokehead? It doesn't matter. Who. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this could be... Any, any cokehead. You know, I'm just, you know, it's a composite. But, uh, but I mean, the, you know, there are people like that in every city. And, and I don't respect people who, who steal jokes. Uh, I don't respect also people who just take there are people who you give them opportunities you try to help them out and there's no sense of reciprocity yeah. ever uh, I'm not going to hate them for it but at a certain point I'm going to stop doing favors for them you know I've, I've done a lot for, for some people never seen any reciprocity never even a thank you I'm like well you know I guess I'm just not going to help you out anymore there's other people who you know you just you put them on an open mic and they're thanking you for, for days and days and days. I didn't get into it for thank yous, but, you know, as far as... What, what Appreciation. You, yeah, when people just have a sense of entitlement and you do something for them and then they just demand more and more, is that, you know what, no, you're draining me. I haven't got time for this shit. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say, you know, people who, who are plagiarizing, I don't consider them really part of the family. I don't consider them to be legit comedians because they're not. You know, they're... They're actors who are, are doing someone else's work and are so desperate for, you know, I guess their ego, uh, getting their ego stroked that they need to be famous or, or whatever, that they're just going to go out there with someone else's material and, and try and, uh, and, and, you know, hope to be, I don't know, maybe famous or just hope to, to make some money doing it. It's nuts how you could go on stage and knowingly steal somebody's stuff because, like I said, I get uncomfortable with subject matter yeah like if, if somebody yeah. says oh that's similar to this, I, that makes me uncomfortable just the subject matter it doesn't even have to be the punchline or the joke especially that... in 2016 where it's so easy to find the source material you know uh, I mean if you're creative I guess there's always ways you can steal but that's know? why I stick to my um, my life stories yeah the dating all that stuff I stick to it because in my head I go if somebody does say something really similar they're fucking stealing this I went through this is my life you yeah. know it's very specific so I sometimes I have a topic I want to talk about politically. I'll try it out for a bit, but most times I'll fall back to my life just for that because I feel like they get uh, that originality, they get that connection. Like, oh, this is him. He's talking about yeah. himself. They're never gonna feel like, oh, that's an Amy Schumer bit or something like that. I, so I tend to avoid that. I talk about, and so far it's been working. People, as ridiculous as my life is, people seem to enjoy it. Yeah, to listen, listening about it. So. Uh, I tend to stick to that, but you're right. The plagiarism really bugs me too. I don't like, uh, and I've seen a lot in the past year where people fight about it in the city. Oh, you fucking took this. Oh, you took that. Yeah. And it's the worst that it's gone to. We're a small fucking city. Yeah, I yeah. think it's also how you approach when it's happened because there is also parallel writing, and I, I think you got to look at it on a case by case basis. Sometimes people just come up with the same idea, but when it's word for word out and out taken, you know. It's a little suspicious. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you know, in terms of, you know, to answer your initial question of like, you know, you know, have I made enemies? Uh, not never on purpose, but but like I said, if something doesn't seem right, I have to speak my mind, I have to say so, and I have to call bullshit on it. And if if, if someone is doing something like that, well, it's not that I want you know, we I wanted to go into this and make enemies, but again, when I was talking about how this is like family, 
you know, we all have some relatives we don't get along with. True. I don't, a lot I don't get along with. You know, some, I mean, they're still family to an extent, but, but yeah. Well, I, I know yeah. in comedy who, who my family is. I know the, I, I noticed a change when I started to get booked and I started to get a lot of different stuff. I noticed a change in certain people's attitudes. I noticed who was happy for me mm. and who was yeah. upset and started to avoid me. Um, which was always shocking to me because if I'm getting better gigs, if I'm doing better, it doesn't mean you're doing worse. It, it, they're not direct correlation to each other. Yeah. It, somebody doing better than you doesn't mean necessarily you're doing bad or you're not going to reach that level or higher. It has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. So when I noticed a lot of people were getting mad at me when they found out I was doing weekends or when I was doing little tours and going around and they weren't as receptive and they were like, I started to cut them off. I knew. I was like, all right, I would support these guys, whatever they did. So the fact that they're upset by this, and which is stupid, because also the, the the bigger I get, the more I'm all about Montreal. So the more I'm inclined to bring my people on board, on ride that train. You know what I mean? Uh, why would I bring strangers? I would bring my. So it's it, it doesn't. It's stupid. It's, yeah. a, it's a dumb rivalry that. Uh, uh, rivalry I mean, that it, occurs sometimes. Part of it is just that a lot of I think comedians, but I think a lot of performers, you know, where we are slightly neurotic but I think there's also some some sensitivity hypersensitivity some of us and and uh, I think when some people have certain success they they see it almost as a well if they're doing a weekend that means I'm not doing a weekend so that's why they'll be jealous and it's not that it's not that they're jealous of you in particular it's just that they resent that someone else got something that they wanted and like I understand where that comes from, but again, it, it it's not going to make you funnier. It's yeah, that's the thing. Help. It doesn't make you fun. It yeah. doesn't doesn't help in any way. Like I mean, I don't know. The, the the thing that would help this scene, like I said, is you would have more of a local presence in the festival and let people get out there. Because I'm telling you, there's no way. Like when my material goes so well in LA, there's no way that's just my material. That means that there's other comics here talking the way I talk, thinking the way I think, thinking about our kind of stuff that would do so well somewhere else if they would just get the visibility. You know what I mean? So if there was some kind of a platform for the crew here to be able to be seen, um, it opens up the doors for opportunities. But the thing is, they're not. They, they, they lock us in here, you know, and they don't really give us the chances to, to be exposed so other people could be exposed to our comedy. And we need to physically go out different places and try things. I, but I think that's also why we see more and more every year comedians leaving Montreal. Yeah, that's that's. Very I mean, good that's point. part of part of the reason. And I mean, quite frankly, I think just just for for any anything in this field, realistically, at some point, you know, you're not going to ever become the biggest name in comedy by just staying in Montreal. True. At some point, you have to leave the city and and start performing elsewhere. You know, there's only so far you can go in this place. You know, let's not forget Montreal has one million English people. Uh, it's a know, very small. Yeah, you know, New York has ten million people. You know, it's New York's population is one third of the population of this country. So, you know, there are going to be there's more competition, but there may be more opportunities there too. Uh, you know, as it would be in Chicago, as it would be in L.A., in Toronto, in Vancouver, Montreal has less. You know, for the it, it has the prestige of the festival. But that's it. But you know, we do have one of the best clubs though in the country. Yes, yeah, it, it absolutely it absolutely does. The, the Nest constantly comes up as one of the top three clubs in, in the country, and it is. And the works has been rebounding nicely since it reopened. And it's been getting better and better, and uh, um, it's going to be really, really fine on Thursday, February twenty fifth, Friday, <laughs> February twenty sixth, and 
you get the idea, folks. I get, I get the idea too. Okay. Yeah, is there is there some way that we can just change the logo of the podcast to just to just the dates? dates. Yeah, maybe. And, and me smiling and maybe holding a sign saying I'm a whore. Uh, well, that, uh, might, that might help. I'm a whore. Like that. Yeah, that's, we'll, we'll make a custom uh, image for the for this episode. I think we need to. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, I think some of those things we're talking about aren't like the the, the stuff you're saying about you know finding out who your friends are kind of thing and if they're happy or not. I don't think that's something that's just germane to comedy. I think that's something that in any job, if, if you work at an accounting firm and this guy got the promotion, you'll find those same people. Yeah. Of like, well, what about me? You know. So it's not it's not exclusively in comedy. It's just that it feels because because we we live it and also our our job in comedy. I mean, we're constantly getting judged, right? The whole point is that the audience judges you. They judge whether you're funny or not. Yeah. They judge, and your your peers are also judging you. They're like, oh, I like that new joke. I don't like that one. Oh, I still love this one. Yeah. You know, so you're constantly being judged. So there's always you're always under scrutiny. You feel. So when you give it the extra, what what I really want to know is all the showcases that we're doing now. It's all the auditions for just for laughs. Are they legitimately considering any of us? I don't know. That's all I wanted. That's I mean that that, that that's someone else you need on the podcast to ask, you know, and, and and talk to them about it. I I couldn't have an answer. I don't know, you know. I'm gonna reach out. Maybe get somebody from JFL to come I, on. I mean, I'm I'm still learning, you know, a lot myself. Like there's certain things I'm I'm confident about, but uh, you know, comedically, uh, but you know, as far as what makes a festival tick or not, that's not my that's not my wheelhouse. Um, you know, I just know, you know, what, I, what I've done and I can't speak for any of them, you know, but I, I imagine that I'd like to think they must know, you know, they must have some approach, something planned. But yeah, I think if two people out of the 38 who are auditioning this year or 35 or whatever it is, if two of them end up getting a spot in the festival, that'll be really, really good. Yeah, it'll be huge. It'll be, yeah. Uh, I think the most that ever happened was probably 2007 when there was like seven or eight of us. Here. Oof. You were there? Yeah. yeah. No. There was myself, there was Deanne, there was Bingham. Um, I, it's funny because there was a, a period where for me, I, w- I was getting more excited. I was waiting for my other friends to get in. You know, it, like there was a lot of guys who they didn't get into it yet. And it was like, you know, it's a great experience, but you want to share that experience. And, and you know, when your friends haven't done it yet, you're like, well, you want to be able to talk to them about it. Be like, hey, what, how is it for you? You know, and you can't until they get into it. So you're waiting. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people. You're like, well, when, when's he going to have that chance? When is she going to have that chance? And then you can, you know, high five and be like, yeah, you know, what? Wasn't, didn't that feel great? And I feel blessed just being in my, just having a second showcase that's mm. for me not more than I wanted but more than I expected to be honest right like you always want like oh one day I would like to be a comedian being just for laughs right, when you're younger but I mean to expect that uh, I'd even have a chance to showcase it was always out of the realm of possibility you know if you really think about it you know yeah, yeah. as much as in retrospect you go oh, of course this and that I was doing well but it's in reality fuck you don't know first yeah. of all just for them to hear about you just for them to uh, to take you seriously when you want to get all that like it's it's a lot mm, absolutely um, but but again you know it, it's a huge huge deal and you know we, we I think we also forget how many other festivals are out there right now 
You know, for a long time it was the only festival. Now there's so many. New York has its own comedy you know, festival. It is. They've got like two or three. You know, um, you know, there's Halifax, there's Winnipeg, there's all these. So you know, just try to get into some of the other festivals as well. See what happens, and you know. That's a good point, actually. Should. That's probably the best way to do is, is get to that. Peter? Yep. I can see that you're sleepy, but there's one thing I forgot. <laughs> when are you at the Comedy Works again? Oh, when am I at the Comedy Works? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. i got to pick a date. Oh, when am I at the Comedy Works? Uh, I'll be there 20, February 25th, 26th, 27th, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Shows at 8.30, doors open at 8 as well as late shows on Friday and Saturday at 10.30 p.m. Doors open at 10. Website? Uh, well, comedyworksmtl.ca. How much are tickets? The tickets are going to be 15 That's a good price. I think so. I think I'm, I'm, I'm worth at least fifteen ninety two. So you're getting, you know, you're, you're saving like, that's a 92 cent discount you're getting on the show. I'm going to try and deliver at least... Uh, one of the shows, I'm not going to tell you which one, so you'll just have to take your chances. I'm going to deliver a show that just me personally is going to be $16 and 13 cent quality show. That's a good, that's a good I think thing. so. And, and one of the shows might be a $14 and 89 cent show. That's just my part, but the other guys will bring the rest. So it'll still always be worth a minimum $20 these shows. Oh, easily. Everybody's saving. Easily. Saving. Yeah, yeah, just the oh, more yeah. shows you come to see and the more people you bring, the more money you save. I like that. But no, I, I am very excited about uh, about Jimmy and Zach. Um, these are really good guys. These are really funny guys, and uh, you'll be you'll be catching a really really quality show at uh, at the works. And uh, um, you know, I've you know, I, I could have headlined probably a couple of years back. Um, I could have had an opportunity to do something, but this feels better now doing it. And uh, and yeah, I think. You know, getting this particular roster together will be fun. And uh, I think we'll all have a good time. So You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Peter? That's Pantalis, and that's all you're going to get. That's you like that, huh? I do. I think, honestly, I think that's one of the best closers I've heard. It's unique. It's original. It's memorable. And it's a, it's a great way to end. And it's, it's better than, hey, that's my time. And, yeah, you know, I'm sick of hearing that. <laughs> yeah. No, but you, you actually coined something that is memorable. I think the only one that I, I think is, is, is stronger than that was by the late, great Sean Keane, who would end all of his performances with, ladies and gentlemen, comedy is my job and I quit. Uh, I like that. Yeah. God bless you. Well, Peter, thanks for coming on. Thank you. It was good. It's been fun. I hope the Pantelis push helps ticket sales. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.